Welcome to Awards Radar, the podcast, a weekly discussion of the awards races, Hollywood news, and the films you should have on your radar. Here's your host, Joey Magidson. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Awards Radar podcast. As always, I'm Joey coming to you in what's now February, the uh, calm before the phase two award season storm. A, uh, a nice break, if you will, even though we'll talk about it more. Um, Steve is uh, sitting this one out. He uh, came down with an acute case of quantum mania. So, uh, uh, yes, yes. It's even funnier because we both saw Ant-Man last night. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday, by the way. So um, apparently I'm immune to quantum mania. Or is he? Well, check the tweets. We'll talk about Ant-Man in a little bit. But Miles is here. Hi, I'm here. I'm not always Miles. But today I'm Miles. Sure. Um, how's, uh, let's check in with your 28 days of love. I saw you suffered once already. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, where to begin? There's already been a lot of, you know, the highs have been real high and the lows have been real low. Uh, do you want me to just start from the top? Yeah. Let's, let's, let's kick it off with, uh, with how your, your February, February has been. Yeah, uh, well, let's rip off the Band-Aid and talk about the experience I had with the Before Trilogy, Mm. which, oh, man, like, I haven't heard your reaction to my reaction, but, like... I saw it. I feel like you, you, like, you hate me just a little bit more than maybe you did before. I'm not thrilled with it. I I think Steve, (laughs) oddly, might be more annoyed, because I think... I think he's at the point in his life where that movie rings very true and, you know, elements of that for me. I, I like all three of them. I think they're 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 each a very different kind of movie intentionally. So you can tell that they only made them because they're like, oh, shit, I have an I have an idea and a concept that I want to explore. But I definitely can understand going in the way you did that third one, having a little bit of a like, wait, what? <laughs> Well, I think maybe that was it. And obviously watching them, you know, one night after the other is not the intended sort of experience. So I got to take that into the equation. But um, on the whole, listen, I love like the way that they're made. And I love sort of the craft behind them and the simplicity and like the structure. And the concept is a very strong concept. And that rings true throughout all three. That said... I think the first one is good. It's kind of exactly what I expected it to be. I think it's the one I'd already seen the most of. And sure. um, it's very 90s and very angsty and very eh, sort of navel gazing in a way. It's that Ethan Hawke. Yeah. Well, Ethan Hawke, like reality bites era Ethan Hawke specifically. Yes. Um, so it's a lot of stuff like that. But it's it's still cute and you're still invested by the end. Um, Before Sunset's my favorite one out of the three, uh, maybe because it's the shortest one, but I also just think it's the most like efficient in a weird way. Like it just, it really gets to the meat and potatoes of it, which is, you know, the walk, the leisurely walk and talk, which like, it's sort of amusing how they'll just like, they'll be leisurely walking, talking and like, oh, you got to do this thing. Oh, well, let's go to this thing and extend the walk and talk a little bit more. Oh, well, you can walk yeah. down the stairs with me so we can do the walk and talk some more. It's it's well, a lot a, of that. A nice, there's a nice little subtlety to the the ticking clock is different than this one. You know, the first one is we're having a night and whatever will be, will be kind of. And this one is, well, you know, 
if I'm going, this is definitely going to be it. Well, there's, that's, a little, there's a little melancholia there. Well, exactly. I mean, I think there's a bittersweetness that runs through all three, to be sure. Yeah. And it's part of what gives the ending of the first one its power. Um, I think it's just one of those things where I, lo- I don't know. When I got to before midnight, I was definitely thrown for a loop. And I very much get what it's doing and what it's trying to be. And I understand what people like about it. And I mean, you know, skip ahead a little bit because, you know, spoilers for the before trilogy. Um, I don't know. I just I don't like either of the characters anymore by the end of it. And so it makes me feel very differently about that resolution than I might if I still felt the way I did going in. Sure. I don't think it's fully meant to not be the way you saw it. I think I think you're supposed I, to identify I, them as. I guess if that's slightly... the case, then I just don't know that I appreciate what the point was. I think it. I think it might have played better the original way, which is like, oh shit! Ten years later, we got a new one. Where are they now? Oh, life. In a way that I think back to back to back doesn't not that doesn't let you appreciate but i think it doesn't um i don't want to phrase this it 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 doesn't let you linger on the possibilities you know because if you imagine between the first one was a one-off you know however you want to figure out if they met up again is up to you right right so when they they announced the second one like oh well well did they or did you know and the movie has a somewhat interesting answer to that right of like oh one of them was there one more you know it plays with it in a fun way and it ends on another mild cliffhanger, if you will. Right. Though I think you're meant it's to ambiguous, but it's less ambiguous. Yeah. You're, you're, you're left in a, in an interesting place. I think, I think had yeah. they never done another one, that was a great place to leave it off of like, Oh, this and is may- kind of what they And do. maybe that was it for me because I like the second one the most. Um, it just, I don't know if I like it had the best balance of everything. I think the fact that it's the one that feels the most like it happens in real time, it sort yeah, of yeah. gives everything the sense of urgency that I think the other two kind of lack. I think the third one has highs and lows. I like it a lot. And at, at, ask me on the right day, it's my favorite of the three. Otherwise, it's the second one. I think the th- I think before sunrise comes in third, not by virtue of not being good, but just yeah. And I th- I think there's time. a lot to recommend about all three, but I think for me, and it probably is a big result of sort of shotgunning them the way I did, but I and and Kelly felt the same way. Interestingly, is that especially with the Ethan Hawke character by the end, I just like he sucks and like yeah this is a bad relationship and like the implications of the final moments just make me feel bad. And like, especially like, you know, I know I'm like pretty late to the party in terms of being a purist of the lore of the before. Saga. Sure, sure, sure. But at the same time, it's like, okay, no, I've come to f- kind of fall in love with these characters over the course of the first two, you know, they're a little full of themselves and they're a little new avian and obnoxious way, whatever. But like you're you're into their chemistry and that it's it is undeniable and that's what makes the whole thing sing. But then you get to the third one and it's just like oh it just doesn't work out and everything sucks now and they suck now and everything's the worst and that's just what life sure. is and it's like okay like I guess that's not an unvalid point to make but 
it just kind of sucks the fun out of everything for me. Yeah, 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 I don't I, know. I, I gotcha. I'm, I'm very much Keep not of the ilk that I I don't enjoy being bummed out on purpose at the movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess. Keep in mind, it's a 2013 movie, so it's coming sort of at a interesting point in the world as well. I did um, notice that based on their timeline, they have missed the window for part four if they wanted to. Yeah, they they probably are not going to come back. Oddly, I think you might be more interested than than others. I think everyone would be cautiously optimistic. I think you almost want to find out like 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 not re not erase this one, but well, give me give me something else about late stage uh, Jesse and Celine. Yeah, um, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. It's like at the end of the day, it's with the first two, you you want it. You ultimate, they're pushing for you to want them to be together and to be happy together and for it to inexplicably work out despite, you know, one thing after the other. But like, I don't know, to just be told like, oh, it does work out, but they hate it. <laughs> yeah, like, okay, I mean, it's an cool. interesting, it, it's, it's, <laughs> a, it's a, I think it works better if it's, you haven't seen them in 10 years, because I think. I, I don't know about a rewatch now, but I remember seeing it at Sundance and seeing that they have the two kids in the car sleeping and you're like, oh, they had kids was like an oddly moving moment of like, oh, that's what they've been up to where I will. I will concede. I think the, the big dinner scene is a oh bit much. Oh, my God. It goes on forever. Yeah. I don't know these characters and I don't care about them and I'm never going to see them again. And it's just like, why are we still here? Yeah, I will say the their their big like hotel fight is pretty like grueling in a, in a much more effective way. Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's obviously the centerpiece of the movie and like it yeah. has its ups and downs for me for that very reason. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's not the type of thing you gravitate towards normally, but for what it's doing, I think it's doing it. It's doing it very well. And that clearly these are people who know their characters very well. Oh, I totally, think it's more just totally. They've moved in a, in a direction where you're like, Oh, I wish you made them a little happier than this. Yeah, and that may just be personal preference for me, and sure. obviously I know we're very much in the minority on that, but it is what it is. But overall, Listen, it's 2%, a very... Two percent of critics didn't like it. Yeah, you know, it happens. Uh, yeah, but o- overall, keep, keep doing, interesting keep... stuff. Um, as you uh, detail the other ones that you've seen, I'm just quickly checking to see if your your best friend didn't like it as well. Oh, God. Well, 207 uh, reviews. And five are rotten. Oh, he's not involved in that. He might not have seen it. Yeah, fair enough. Also, for what it's worth, um, two of the five reviews are written several years after. Uh, so it probably was a ninety, straight up ninety nine percent. So at the some time. contrarian sort of after the fact. Yeah, yeah. Well, speak of it. Don't say his name three times. Uh-huh. He'll, come, he'll come up with the take. Um, but yeah, listen. You've you've had fairly good luck overall, give give or take one film that I think you caused bodily harm to yourself watching. Yeah, well, that's the next one. So we've uh, Kelly and I always joke about her sort of forcing rom coms on me, and the one that we always come back to as a reference point has been Thirteen Going on Thirty. <laughs> so after we finished the Before trilogy, we watched Thirteen Going on Thirty. Let me tell you guys, I I I don't like that movie. I can think you, um, it's a very bad movie. I can you, can you hated can you prove it. that Kelly's still alive? She is, uh, but you know, she's on thin ice. Yeah, yeah. If, if, if there was the first real test, you're like, wait, you you like this movie? 
You uh, found this competently made. Listen, I I thought it was like whatever at the time. I have a I have a higher tolerance than you for like cotton candy rom coms. But uh, boy, it's I, like I you're choking have, on the cotton candy. <laughs> I have not revisited it. From what I recall, Jennifer Garner is giving it a good shot and like is mostly pretty charming with the you know body swap comedy of it all. Um, Mark Ruffalo hopefully bought something nice because um, he looked very bored. And I couldn't tell you most of what happens, except I think they dance at one point. Yeah, they do Thriller and also Andy Serkis yeah. is in it. And like, sure. he's at the center of a gay joke that has aged horribly. Oh, boy. Uh, uh, there's also a really upsetting scene where like, because she's a 13 year old in an adult's body. So she starts hitting on a 13 year old boy. Oh, yeah. And it's just and it's like so uncomfortable. (laughs) And it's like, I I don't know. It's just like, I know it's not for me. And I know I'm not like, you know, so, so much could be for. I think that's it. It's one of those things for me where it's just I don't think it's a good version of even the low standard of what it's trying to be. So, Mm. like, I just I don't know. It was very, it was very. Oh, no, she, of course she does. She, well, because she yeah. grew up with it. And she agreed sure. after this watch that some things hadn't aged well. But yeah, yeah. no, I if, this one was viscerally unpleasant for me. Are there any more on the ledger like this? Uh, nowhere close. Oh, you've gotten off easy then. They should be like, one, well, like only, every other I'm movie. I'm only seven movies these. in, in fairness. Yeah, but I mean, of the 28, like a solid like seven should be like frothy rom-coms. Uh, she's she's gone pretty easy on me. I'll give her credit. She could have oh, she could have been she, worse. Next year, next year she's coming on, and we're and we're we're drafting this list together. <laughs> and you are going to be watching. Um, let's see what else. What else is disposable like that? Just like heaven, the Reese Witherspoon one. Oh, we did um, talk about that one. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember anything about it. I don't remember it being good. Um. You should probably. Oh gosh, watch. shocker! I'm I'm so surprised that history doesn't fondly remember just like heaven. Sure. Um. Let's see. What? Um. Oh, I could never be your woman. The one with Paul Rudd and Michelle Pfeiffer that didn't come out. Oh yeah, that had like a different title at one point. It changed titles, I think, several times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it, it's Amy Heckerling, right? Maybe. Might be. That sounds right. It's, it's either her or like. Uh, Martha Coolidge like it's a it's a like 80s rom-com champion yeah who made a movie that nobody saw just like um I don't remember which waters it is because one of the waters either did just like heaven or 13 going on 30 mm. you know the Heathers Heathers brothers um one of them did um was it sex and death 101 the one Winona Ryder and Simon Baker that also never came out I definitely don't know that one I've seen that one it's not good um that one is the one where I think he gets a list of like everyone he's going to have sex with the rest of his life, and it's a long list. So he's like, "Yay!" But of course, it doesn't go the way he wants it to. What? I there's a there's a scene. I just I remember one specific scene where there's like a bunch of people still to come on his list. So he's like, "I'll just run away. Like no one will be able to see me. I can't have sex with them." And he, I don't remember if he gets hit by a car, or he gets lost, and like he gets picked up by a like a bus full of like. Catholic schoolgirls will all decide to lose their virginity to him one after the other. Well, he's like barely conscious on the floor. It's that kind of movie. It's one of those ones where it kind of writes itself. I, you know, when you, when I hear a description of a movie like that, I always think of, um, 
uh, on the Graham Norton show once there's a clip of uh, Richard Iowata going on there describing um, some rom-com that he had seen um, and people were asking him about is like, okay, well, have you ever seen a movie before? It's very similar to every movie ever made. Yeah. Sounds about right. Luckily, you've also seen two other movies, I want to say. Uh, three. So, three. okay. So things eased up after that. Uh, day five, we did Barefoot in the Park, based on the Neil Simon play. Um, it's good. It's fine. I don't have a lot to say about it. The The writing and the dialogue is the best part of it. Jane Fonda's great. Robert Redford looks a little out of his comfort zone. Probably was. Yeah, it 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 kind of shows, but like there's there's some really funny stuff in there. It's it wasn't an yeah. unpleasant experience. Not a not a not a bad option for an older one. You know what you should watch next year mm. that I'm going to demand is on the list: Pillow Talk, a Doris Day Rock Hudson rom com. Oh, okay. It's first of all, they're all interesting, but that one especially is about like a shared party line. It's insane. I remember seeing it in film school. It's also like very dirty for its time, you know, very innocently dirty, but also, you know, any movie of that era where rock Hudson is really leaning into like, well, I'm a man's man and a lady's man. And yeah, I'm, I'm the straightest man in history. Don't you know? And, and watching it now is fascinating. Cause you're like, boy, boy, is that a, a big effort, but what chemistry they have in that movie? Because a lot of it is like split screen, like, you know, talking over the phone type stuff because he's pretending to be someone else. It's sure. it's very of its time. But I think you would get a kick out of it for just how like, wait, they allowed this movie to get made. That one should be on your list because you've heard of it, right? As like one of the like rom-coms of its era. Sure. All right. Well, 11 months from now, just remind me. Oh, yeah. We're, we're very good at this, by the way. Yeah. Um. um and then Ryan, I- Ryan, you pay attention to this. <laughs> this is your next job. You have to remind us of this. Wait, what happened? Um, the uh, the our reader Ryan, who uh, oh like, yes, uh, yes, Ryan, yes, wait, you do. You, you think Ryan McQuaid? I've hired him back to do that. No, the way Just you that? said it made me made it sound like he he would you would somehow snuck him on. <laughs> That would be funny if I just snuck him on. I was like, yep, yep, you got to do it, Miles. Oh, my gosh. He's not going to like that we have Shape of Water coming up later. Yeah. I'll sneak him on for that one. There you go. Um, So after that, day six, uh, we did, or I guess that was yesterday. uh, We did Moulin Rouge. Uh, I've often said this is the only Baz Luhrmann film that I can get into. For some reason, like, everything I hate about his style, just like kind of synthesizes in Mm. such a way that it just really works for this one particular story. I hate it every other time I see it and I will still never watch Elvis, but, um, not works here. And, uh, yeah, it's fun. I like it. I, I was talking maybe a little too much shit during like the corny parts. Yeah. Kelly got mad. I do also, yeah, I bet she did. I, uh, I do also want to propose for next year that they, since it's, since it's not your genre, and she's taking the lead on this. I feel like all 28 next year should be movies you haven't seen. Yeah, I think so. I think I she let me sort of like... Oh, she eased you so, in Yeah, that's exactly right. So I think we might go a little more out there. Oh, no, no. Next next year next year is 28 movies that you have not... Wait, is it a leap year? Could it be 29? 
We ha- um, we have 20- said that if there is a leap year, that it has to be the movie leap year on the 29th. Yeah. Well, let's check out when that is. Uh, talk about your last movie while I, I quickly pull up when leap year is. And then we just finished before uh, we started recording tonight is uh, Amelie, uh, which is just one of those... You know one of the ones, one of the early 2000s, just super quirky indie movies that everyone was trying to emulate for years afterwards. Sure. Uh, But it's one of the better ones. It's one of the more well-remembered ones for a good reason. It's just so visually stunning and charming and sweet. And, you know, the effects are kind of, you know, quaint, but like sort of like all the more endearing as a result. I don't know. It's just that's one of those ones where everything about it just sings for me. Yeah. Uh, by the way, next year is Leap Year, so February 29th, 2024, you're watching Leap Year. God, I guess so. Leap Year, which has a 23% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, well, that's higher than I expected. <laughs> oh, that'll be fun. All right, so next week we'll check back in on the 28 Days of Love. Next year to be 29 Days of Love. Ah. Um, yes. And uh, before we dive into the the movies, which are mainly questions and some Ant-Man chatter, though we'll keep it light because Miles hasn't seen it yet. Uh, And Steve will be on hopefully next week to talk more about it. Um, Let's do a quick uh, Last of Us check-in because Steve, by the way, is up to the last episode. Oh, wow. Which I told him to stop until he finishes the game. But uh, yeah, so this episode was, was also very good, but uh, structurally and tonally very different than the last one. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, they covered a lot of ground in the game, but like sort of re, like restructured some things a little bit. Um, sort of introduced some new characters to sort of humanize a larger group. Melanie Linsky mainly. Um, they this one I think especially because the last one kind of spent most of its time on a side story. Uh, this one really, we got some catch up time with building up Joel and Ellie's relationship, which I think yes. now's a good time to really sort of like hone in on the foundations of that. Yeah, their 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 interactions were very much the highlight in yes. this episode. Um, the magazine scene and, and couple, the magazine was almost things. like beat for beat. Like that was really yeah. well done. Yeah, I, every time they do something close to the game even if it's just looking in drawers for like an art in the game would be like you know some scissors to make a shiv and stuff like that they do it in a way that feels like oh it's not just a game callback it's what these guys would be doing so i'm i'm very into that um the last shot introducing us to some familiar characters um it is moving at a pace different than i think i expected which also is a good thing yeah, I, I don't know where I thought they would be right now, but we're, we're four into ten, right? So we're, we're coming upon the midway point, which yeah. we get to watch early this week because of the Super Bowl. Um, it is moving into, I think, more of the action-centric part of the story. Yeah. Both in the game, and I imagine where they're going here. Um, I do wonder, because the, I don't know, if you're, I think, maybe maybe you're like me, you can kind of venture a guess as to where they're changing things to get to the end point you know the uh the rest of the of the quest for lack of a better word yeah Um, absolutely well and i think what's um what's interesting about the way they're sort of doling out the story is that 
how much action you experience is wildly different for a game spread over like 20 to 40 hours versus sure. a show spread out over nine episodes. So like, you know, for every like little encounter that we get in the show that represents like 10 combat encounters or whatever in the game. You know what I mean? So, oh, yeah. but like that doesn't work for a show, especially one like this, that's much more mood and atmosphere and character focused. So yeah, if you, they, if they're you taking, repeatedly, they're taking yeah. things like, you know, you're not seeing clickers every week, but the, we're got like a heightened clicker encounter. Which, I think we got a heightened bloater encounter coming up, things like that. Yeah. Uh, which boy, uh, did you see someone had a very strong opinion on the la- on episode three? Um, I mean, I'm sure a lot of very, very emotionally stable people have some emotionally stable opinions, but which one specifically? Oh, Ben Shapiro. Oh, well, you know, I'm I'm sure this is very unbiased and reasoned. Go ahead. Um, all right. So I want to make sure everyone listening again knows this is Ben Shapiro, not me. This was his, I believe, Facebook post. The entire episode has no zombies. No real threat. It is about two gay dudes who meet and have a relationship in which one grows strawberries for the other. And then they die by not being killed by zombies. One gets cancer and decides to essentially uh, euthanize himself. And gay Ron Swanson, because remember, he didn't say that already earlier in this uh, paragraph, decides that he's also going to commit suicide at the same time because of Romeo and Juliet, or Romeo and Romeo in this particular case. Second paragraph. God. Second paragraph. Wait, wait. Now he's trying to do the thing where he pretends to be smart and fair. It's all really well produced and it's beautifully shot. However, here's the problem with Brokeback Zombie Farm. It's a zombie show. There are no zombies in this entire episode. There are no zombies in a zombie show. This is worth pointing out. It literally has nothing to do with the plot of the show. Side note, imagine thinking that The Last of Us is about zombies. That's my, I added that at the end. You can quote me on that one. Yeah, just the the pride with which some people flaunt their media illiteracy staggers me at times. Do you did you ever watch um, was it Role Models the Paul Rudd Sean William Scott movie? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember when he's yelling at the Starbucks lady or the guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because and he's like, "You're stupid in three languages." Yeah, this is this is that version. It's like you're so proud to be wrong. Like you're loud and wrong and dumb all at once. You know what? We should introduce him to Armand. Oh God, what? They might they might breathe though and make a, a super predator. They would make they would make the clicker of bad takes on the internet. Uh, or maybe the bloater. I don't know. They'd be bad no matter what. Um, but yes, more to come on the Last of Us. Um, I like when Steve can chime in because he's got a very specific take because he's seeing he's really getting both at once. Um, but I'm very eager to see what comes next. I, I keep resisting the urge to ask for more episodes to jump ahead because that's a uh, I don't need to do that. I should watch like everyone. I really do like the weekly doling out of a show like this. I think if it was uh, bingeable, it wouldn't work as well. Yeah, for, for sure. The, for the conversation, at least. I like that every week, like, especially last week after episode three, that was sort of a section of the discourse on the internet. And I, I ignored the, the terrible versions, but just people talking about it. It was wonderful. Well, you got that More water that, cooler element of it. Which, yeah. which well, I mean, when it was good, it was what Game of Thrones did so well. Yeah, and I was left out of that one, unfortunately. So I'm happy to be involved in this one. Um, 
I also, uh, this is just a, a complete aside. I, um, I watched the entire first season of that 90s show. Oh, and I, I, I'm not sure why I did it either. I'm going to go with probably, I just needed distractions over the weekend. Um, if you like that 70s show, it's fine. Which is funny because I was sort of indifferent to that 70s show. But I kind of was into the nostalgia of like Kurt Wood Smith getting to, you know, still want to put his foot in people's asses. It was easy, I was easily pleased. I like a show that, that like brings back an old cast member for a hot second. In a way that sometimes is sad when a movie does it. Yeah. I don't know. I, get, I, 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 I don't know. I got nothing on the old show except that like. Half of the cast is canceled now, I feel like. I don't know. One for sure. Who else? I don't know. Or not well, one's a convicted rapist. One's super gross convicted rapist. I don't think Mila Kunis is canceled. I just think she's into NFTs, which is like gross uh, for different reasons. Oh, she pops up for one one scene. Well, yeah. yeah. But no, I like her. I like her with Smith. I like Deborah Jo Rump. I like they're the I highlight. Like, they, they're... And they were the highlight in the original show. So making it about sure. them is the smart move. But I will probably never watch it. No, you could if you were going to watch it at all, literally the first episode, just because it sets them all back up. The only thing I did I did find funny is episode two has a uh, sustained clerks reference. I was like, that's cool. Um the um what the hell Topher Grace and, and uh Laura Prepon I don't remember what they're the foreman's right that's what they yeah are yeah the hell was his name Eric yeah Eric and Donna Donna why yeah, do yeah. I know I bet I never watched well, the not, show he's in one episode and she's in three so like they're not like main characters but they their daughter is the the main character Mm. And uh, she's trying to fit in with the new group while she spends the summer there. And she wants to host people down in the basement where they found all the old pot. It's very much doing the same thing. But she needs to get like a cool movie. And someone's like, oh, Clerks. And she's like, yeah, that Kevin Smith. He's super sexy. I love that movie. It's just funny that she clearly hasn't seen the movie. And everyone's just kind of looking at her like, really, Kevin Smith? Sexy, you say? Um, I was amused by oh. it. <laughs> okay. It was a, Which, by the way. Your indifference to that penalizes you because we have a question on Facebook. Oh, dear. And it's, um, hang on. I'm going to pull it up. Um, Steve, I wonder what would have had an answer to this. I think he might have, but you're going to have to struggle, but I demand you have an answer. So give me one second. All right. Julianne, who uh, is a friend of mine from college. Hi, Julianne. I don't think you listened, but I, you saw my post. Which character from a Kevin Smith movie is your favorite and why? Miles, you can go first. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I had a hunch you're going to probably be like, uh, Silent Bob, he doesn't talk. Yes. Well, uh, give me a second to think of one I like, and we'll start from there. Um, I don't know, man. Um, God damn. What, what's yours? I got to think about. No, no. Okay, I got it. I got it. Uh, Alan Rickman in Dogma. He's great. There you go. I thought you. I, I figured you. There's a, you know, a, a day player, for one of them. Not a not a you know returning player kind of thing that I think you would get into. He he definitely is is one of their one of the better like one offs, from the, uh, the repertoire. By the way, loved Kevin Smith. Some very funny stories he's told over the years about like the like dinners and stuff they had. He seems like he was an exceptionally good dude. Um, That's I guess I, I gotta go Affleck. Affleck from Chasing Amy. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
that one that one probably works for me. There's other ones that I find like amusing in in small ways. You know, John Goodman and Kevin Pollock from Red State. Just I like I like the like small back and forth that they have in that stuff. But again, that's mostly the writing as opposed to I think they're good in those mo- in that movie, but they're not necessarily doing a a wildly uh, difficult thing. But yeah, you you mentioned we mentioned it and it just it fed in surprisingly well. I couldn't I couldn't not. Uh, let's see. Would you like to talk about the movie you saw over the weekend, or should we take some more questions? Yeah, why don't we take some more questions? All right, let me let me pull up another one. We have a couple. Um, let's save Ryan's for a little later. I want to pull up one of the other ones we have got. All right, Matthew Anderson. Thank you, Matthew. Depending on what BAFTA does, can you see a world in which All Quiet surprises an original score over Babylon at the Oscars? I ask, as every winner in that category since La La Land also had a sound nomination attached, which Black Panther, including Black Panther, which was a surprise win by some. So do you think that Babylon is locked in or can All Quiet pull off a uh, an upset because of the sound nomination, not necessarily because it's number two at the moment? I think is where we're kind of tackling this from. Sure. Um, I, I don't, I definitely, I don't think anything's locked in on that regard. Um, yeah. That's one of the, I mean, listen, all quiet, frankly, has snuck up on us so much over the course of the season, specifically over the course of like the few weeks before nominations came out. Um, so I fully believe it can win any of its nominations. Uh, including this one. Yeah, I think the two things you want to look at during phase two, you know, the the, the wins, especially the, the guilds. You want to know the of the, the big three, right? Who, who takes SAG, PGA especially, right? Mm-hmm. But I think you also want to pay attention to how well or not well All Quiet does with its tech stuff. Because you'll, you'll start to see either it's going to start winning, you know, Ace Eddie... And, uh, you know, motion picture sound editors, things like that. I don't believe it's not up for ASC, right? Not to my knowledge. Yeah. So that that's another quirk of, of that category, which one day we'll we'll spend a lot of time on that category one episode because, God, that's that may be the hardest category. Uh, yeah. yeah. Just because why? That's kind of honestly. And it's not really fair to the cinematographers who, even if I don't care for the movie, are doing good work. Um, the winner will be a sore thumb compared to several of the other winners, just by virtue of either what it was also nominated for, um, what it knocked out, you know, from not getting nominated. Like even like, listen, Empire of Light is a elegant-looking film, right? Right. No, no real objection if it would win, right? I, I could have seen it winning out of Telluride imagine it wins with one nomination that's not how cinematography tends to go well no exactly it's it's how it interacts with the wider sort of narrative of the various categories especially within the text that um, oh you can you can fall down a huge rabbit hole with this because you go well well, I guess well exactly because then you sort of like you try and sort of second guess where the ripples are gonna go exactly so with with score, uh, I I honestly I don't know 
I'm inclined to think that Hurwitz is going to win because he he seems to be very popular. Granted, sure. a lot of that is the Globes, where he doesn't miss. But when he doesn't win, and this is still a fairly small sample size with the Academy, he doesn't get nominated. So this, in a very, very small sample size, makes me think that because he cracked the lineup, he has a, a better than average shot to win. In, this, in the way that, you know, with First Man and um, with... Uh, What's the other one he missed? He missed for Whiplash, right? Yeah, I think he got he only got in for La La Land before now. Exactly. So Whiplash was... But it's kid, tough, because that's not, that's not really enough movies to establish I a trend of any kind. I also don't remember if he was eligible. They might have ruled him ineligible for Whiplash. Could have been one of those nonsense things. Yeah, that um, sounds I don't right. Recall, I don't recall him being ineligible. I remember Birdman was ruled ineligible for... For jazz also, oddly. Um, or, yeah. Or, yeah, it was like drum riffs or something like that. It was something very specific at the time. Because I remember we were all like, mm, okay. Um, but, you know, the first man miss was notable because that was seen as like a probable win at one point. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know that you can take anything from this. But it's, you know, as good a metric as any. Because we were sort of in uncharted territory. And all, all quiet, I think it's an interesting case to be made that Mark Johnson saw like, here's a stat. But I, I don't know that it's enough. But I'm not convinced it's not enough. It's a, but the one caveat I'll give to it is that it's it's a war film. They often do well in sound. So yeah, maybe that got it in when it wouldn't have otherwise. Because it, it depends on how you look at it. Does it perform like a like an overperforming uh, international feature? Do you look at it as a war film? Do you look at it as a prestige adaptation? Do you look at it as a remake? Like, there's a lot of different ways that people have seen the movie. And I think depending on how you sort of, in your head, quantify the movie, it changes how well you think it can do. Yeah. And that, that extends, I think, to the votership also. So I don't know. It's a good question, though. So the, lo- the long answer is we don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not going to change uh, my prediction from Justin Hurwitz just yet. But if the 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 tech wave begins to favor All Quiet, as I was saying a little bit earlier in this, and especially if it takes some sound-related stuff, uh, then yeah, that, that could be a possibility. Yeah. So it's a it's an interesting idea to keep around in the uh, in the ether, as it were. So kudos to you for that. I, I thought that was an interesting question. Let's do one more, and then we'll save uh, the other one for later on in the show. Our other one, I believe, is a K-Flea. Let me pull it up. Let's see. When did we last ask for questions? There's got to be an easier way to do this, but it probably requires me to like pay attention more, and that's not going to happen. All right. K-Flea, 208. Thank you, K-Flea. Oscar Revisionist History Game Part 1. Had Angela Bassett won in 1993, would she still be the frontrunner this year in supporting? If not, who would be? Would Holly Hunter have won at a different time in her career or be Oscarless? So, let's do part one. All right. So, Angela Bassett, notoriously nominated only once, right? Comes up short. Seen as a 
not necessarily a surprise, but there was a top two, I think, very clearly. Yeah. So, um, that year, Holly Hunter wins for the piano in a film that gets nominated for Best Picture and Best Director. Um, beats Angela Bassett, playing Tina Turner, and what's the love got to do with it? Uh, for what it's worth, the other three nominees were Stockard Channing and Six Degrees of Separation, Emma Thompson and the Remains of the Day, Deborah Winger, and Shadowlands. Imagine a, a year now where we had like three like period pieces like that up against the two frontrunners, one of which is kind of a period piece and the other is a biopic. Yeah, I know. You, like, you the, wouldn't be happy, is, would you? This is very much the like what people think of when they think of obvious Oscar bait like bingo card. Yeah. Ironically, the actor category is so much better. Oh. And I know that's normally, normally not the case. Like, oftentimes, this is what the the actor category is like. But no, Tom Hanks wins for Philadelphia. Fictional character. Always a plus, right? Yeah. Other nominees, Daniel Day-Lewis in The Name of the Father. It's a period piece, but, like, perhaps more engaging than the other ones. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne, What's Love Got to Do With It? Anthony Hopkins, The Remains of the Day, sure. But then Liam Neeson, Schindler's List. Like, very much the sort of the best you're going to get if you're going to watch, like, what's seen as medicine. Yeah. I found that much better. So, if Holly Hunter doesn't win, she probably doesn't have an Oscar. Well, what has she been nominated any other times? She just missed for the big sick. Okay. Let me see if she got another nomination. Was she not nominated um, for uh, the one with John Hawks where he's like, she's like his sex therapist? The Sessions. You're thinking of Helen Hunt? God damn it. Uh, I took a swing. I saw where it was going, and I was like, I'm just going to let, uh, let it, let it go swing. for a second. I tried to pretend um, I knew the difference, but I'll never oh, know wait, the wait, difference wait. as long as I live. She was also nominated for Broadcast News. Okay. Let's look at that for a second. Um, She won for the piano. She got, oh, wait, wait, nominated Best Supporting Actress for The Firm. Best supporting actress for the thirteen. We okay. We have some options here. This is we getting do, a lot better. but out of any of those, do you think she would have won for any of them? Because I don't know that, that is I a do. Good question. I think the possible answer could be the big sick, though unlikely. Because I think I know who was also nominated, but I want to pull it up. Just to uh, play this out for a second. Why is it not? They love to not give me the actual show when I click on it. Uh, yeah. So the problem is she would be up against Alice and Janney for I, Tanya. Mm. But here's the thing. So Alice and Janney, I, Tanya, she wouldn't get taken out because she won. Number two was probably Lori Metcalf, Lady Bird, right? Right. She's, she fits in well with that as a top three. If she didn't have an Oscar, because remember at the time she was sort of hadn't been in as many things like this is her return to like awards consideration. Um, there would have Leslie definitely Manville. been more push for it. Yeah, I yeah. think if she Leslie Manville gets in at the last minute for Phantom Thread. Yeah. Other other misses could have been Mary J. Blige from Mudbound, Octavia Spencer to Shape of Water. I don't think she wins that one, though. No, I don't. I, either. I would have been happy with it. 
I wouldn't have hated I, it. I genuinely don't think she wins for anything besides the one that she won for. That is probably true. Um, let's see. For yeah, so actress in what was it eighty eight? She loses to share from Moonstruck. Yeah, that's probably still the same. Yeah. Second tier, probably Glenn Close, Fatal Attraction. So she's third there. That's not helpful. Now, with the ones that happen after after this, let's see. The Firm would be, uh, I'm going to go with probably not a great win. No. But let's see. I didn't remember getting nominated for that. That's crazy. The film got two Academy Award nominations. Uh, she lost. Wait, she lost to Anna Paquin for piano. Was she double nominated? Oh, I guess she must have been. Interesting. Did I completely. Did I space on this? Yeah, she was double nominated. I forgot about that. She won for the piano. Well, now here's the thing. She loses for the piano. Does she win for the firm and take it away from Anna Paquin? I want to say no. But, but maybe. That's, yeah, that's that's more interesting in a way. Um, I don't like it, mind you. Don't don't pretend that I'm like happy about it. But that is interesting. It creates an now, interesting scenario, certainly. The other option would be to play around with um Actually, uh this creates a whole other domino effect, but if she wins for 13, where I think she's excellent, mind you. Yeah. She takes away from yeah. her, from Renee's she takes away from Renee Zellweger for Cold Mountain. I'm okay with that. <laughs> yep, but does she but does she win? Cuz then you have the perceived dueness of Zellweger and the perceived dueness of Holly Hunter. I don't know that I think Zellweger would have been due back then. I, I mean she she'd... she was seen, she won. <laughs> well, obviously, but I don't know. That would have been that would have been the interesting play there. So I I, I like this rabbit hole. That was interesting. Um, and to the other part of it is if Angela Bassett had in fact won, I don't even think she would be nominated this year. Yeah, no, I think that's true. As as good as she is in in the film, I I I, I, th- I think, I think the vacuum of- is is she's able to fill it in large part because she's able to bring that narrative with her ready to go. Exactly. If if she was a prior winner. Um, it would probably play closer to how the first Black Panther went when everyone praised the work and also was like, well, we're not nominating that. Yeah. Um, because you also, you know, think about what's who is who was next in line. Any of the women talking women, right? So yeah. maybe they cancel each other out. Maybe not. Um, Dolly the Leon, who is a very strange miss considering that they seem to really like Triangle of Sadness. Based on the love um, of Triangle, I have to imagine she, Dolly was probably six, right? I would imagine so too. Because um, you have Carrie Mulligan, did okay on the precursor season, but got funneled through the like, is she a lead, is she supporting kind of thing that happened to Michelle Williams. And the film wound up shut out. And then Janelle Monet. Those are probably the the next in line people. That sounds she right been in that. Yeah, she would have been in that lump, and I don't think she would have succumbed. So, in a weird way, good for her. Part two. If Michelle Yao had won for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and Kate Blanchett had only won for Blue Jasmine, 
what would the current best actress race look like and who wins supporting actress in 2005? Um, congrats, Michelle Williams. <laughs> um, or, and we won't talk about it just yet, but congrats, Andrea Riseborough. Interesting. Well, I uh, bumped her up to number three. I do really? think if, if voting, if the Oscars were this month, she might win. I think the month off is going to like not help that campaign considering it's all like word of mouth and now people will have seen it. It won't be fresh, but especially when the perceived front runner, well, one of the two with Kate Blanchett is telling you like, no, no vote for Andrea Riseborough. That's an interesting argument to make. Yeah, very much. So I, I mean, I think if Yao's a previous winner, it definitely changes the dynamic. Like if they both are previous, I don't know. I think honestly, I mean, one, it, it probably does give Blanchett a, a slight nudge just because of unfor- yeah, she has one unfortunate biases. Sure. Um, the other thing is, this is not really how we're going to do it, but um, I don't think Yao is in this movie. I think her career is very different if she has an Oscar. Potentially. You know? I, I mean, think so much of the movie yeah. comes together between her and 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 so many members of the cast being like, well, we never really got our due in America. It's yeah, part of, I think, you're not wrong there. Way. Um, also, keep in mind, um, she was not nominated for Crouching Tiger. It's no. important to remember. Um, and it's also important to remember that was a very hard lineup to crack. There's one outlier, but Julia Roberts wins for Aaron Brockovich. That was kind of always happening, I think. Yes. And it's not a bad win. It's that, just, that would it's have been one... a, an insane upset. <laughs> yeah. The problem that she has is there's three other people there that have large pockets of support. You have Joan Allen in The Contender. Like, oh, that that would be a great win. That, that just... would be a great win. You have one outlier with Juliette Binoche and Chocolat. Like, she's fine. But... That's where you probably won't, that's where you would make the switch, but it still leaves her at five because you also have Laura Linney for you can count on me like peak like everybody loves Laura Linney, right? Yeah. And the who was number two in the race, Ellen Burst and Requiem for a Dream. Yeah, that's a pretty stacked year. Yeah, there's I don't think there's any way she would have won. No, I think you're right. No, I, I you know, listen, Ellen Burstyn probably should have won that one. Just looking at the performances. That's uh, a... Maybe. Um, Burston, Allen, Linney, Roberts, Binoche is how I would rank the performances. Just performances. I think it's Allen for me. I, I can't keep them in it, my mind. Oh, oh they're really close. Them. But yeah, they're like killer year overall. I That is... If not for Binoche, probably my favorite Best Actress lineup in history. That's fair. Well, then yeah, like, swap Brad for Benoche. Yeah, I mean, swap almost anyone out for Benoche. I'm, I'm listen. I'm sure if I look look deep enough, I'll find someone that I really like who is not even close. Um, now, quickly um, for 2005, you have Blanchett winning for The Aviator, right? Right. So, <sighs> the the. So, okay, so she wins for the Aviator. You got Laura Linney back again for Kinsey. Right. Would have been would have been a fine win, right? Not like not a super exciting not, win, but maybe like a do you win. 
Yeah, yeah, closer to like I'm glad she got her Oscar. Virginia Madsen in Sideways. Very good performance, but kind of the the performance that gets nominated and doesn't win. Yeah. We we see that one all the time. Uh Sophie Okonedo, Hotel Rwanda. The nomination was kind of the reward there. Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, she would have probably been her, my choice here, honestly. Oh, she's good, but her and Don Cheadle kind of did a lot of the work there and, and the screenplay. It was it was kind of a triangle of sadness situation, like just top top level stuff. Yeah. But never really seen as a threat to win anything. And um, Natalie Portman and Closer, who probably is my pick. Yeah, she's good. I mean, we I mean, we could play this game out even further. If you give Natalie Portman the win here, maybe Michelle Williams wins the year of Black Swan. She wins her Blue Valentine. Oh, True. I could we see that for sure. Problems. I mean, the honest answer is I think we get a, a way worse winner. We probably, since I mentioned it, now we probably have to at least look, right? Um, that year, it probably goes to, um, I'll pull it up right now. Ugh. Unfortunately, okay, now I have it. So you've got two options. We've got Michelle Williams for, for Blue Valentine, my pick. It would be helpful if it had gotten another nomination. You know, if any, if, uh, if uh, Gosling had gotten in or it had cracked uh, original screenplay. In hindsight, kind of weird that that movie didn't get more. No, I know. It just never really caught on like it was expected to. Well, that was that was peak, like, uh, Weinstein Company half-assing it. Yeah. Like they, they honestly, they lucked out with the NC-17. Because they got them, they got some free publicity over that, and then won the, the 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 appeal. That was most of what they did, besides it going to every film festival and people being like, "Holy shit, this movie's amazing," but also like devastating. So if it's not Michelle Williams, I think the only other option is uh, Net Benning for the kids are all right, and that's very much a like checking a box, not a, a win. Yeah, similar she, to the Laura Lenny. Yeah, exactly. She's good, but you have that like, oh, but you missed the better performance. Yeah. Because the other the other nominees were Nicole Kidman, Rabbit Hole, again not a, not a performance that wins, but a, a performance that gets nominated pretty much as soon as it's anywhere good, and Jennifer Lawrence breaking through for Winter's Bone. They they love their young ones, but not quite that young. As we not saw yet. about her winning, winning what what two years later? <laughs> yeah, uh, they got around to it quickly. But we 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 like these games; these are fun. All right, why don't you talk about Knock at the Cabin for a minute? Okay. Uh, well, Knock at the Cabin is uh, the uh, latest movie from M. Night Shyamalan. Um, we've talked about him quite a bit on the podcast before, like when Old came out. Yeah. And um, yeah. I didn't like Old. You didn't like Old. I actually saw Old for the first time recently. It's not like a good movie at all, but it's very funny. Um, yeah. I mean, as I've told you, I, I still remain befuddled by that cinematography choice no the cinematography is fucking whack um yeah there's a and the dialogue is clunky it's got all of his worst stuff in it but it's like fascinating um knock at the cabin okay i'm gonna make a bold statement here i think knock at the cabin is his second best film i had a hunch that's what you're saying so i'm pulling up his resume right now to talk about it can I just say as a side note, I'm glad that we've kind of moved on from the uh, 
turning his last name into a vaguely racist joke. Well, not even vaguely. It's super racist. And yeah, well, it's, yeah, it was it's always not, it's not something anyone should be saying anymore. It oddly got like very normalized. And yeah, I, in a creepy way. Yeah, in a way that like, oh, like, I don't he had to have been aware. So like. That means someone probably said it to his face and he had to do like the nervous laugh of like, yeah, great. That's hilarious. Never heard that one before, guys. Thank you. Thank you for that. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, but I'm glad at least like to some degree the culture is caught up to be like, don't do that. Because like a lot of people were guilty of it. I'm sure I, I definitely did it on, on in the old in the old uh, in the award circuit. Days oh, totally. Totally. It was I think the problem is and this is a cult, this is a uh, societal thing quickly. People who mean something as a silly, like, just whatever, then you have the racist pop up and go, oh, cool, that means I can do it. And if you're smart, you go, that means I will never do this because, boy, do I not want to be in your club. Yeah, so, it's about whether or not you normalize it. Yeah, and unfortunately, we see the the worst impulses sort of getting normalized. And, and it leads to, like, just not fun discourse. Listen. I'm sure there's people who want to be enjoying that that stupid Harry Potter game that just came out, but yeah, maybe you'd also don't want to give money to J.K. Rowling at this point in her career. So, yeah, I know your... that's uh, the camp I'm in. Yeah, I mean, luckily I never liked Harry Potter, so I don't have to care. Um, but with M. Night, he has had a very much a role, very much a roller coaster of a career, and I think that's where you get some of this this nonsense where people who don't like his stuff oddly get very personal about it yeah it gets kind of weird like there's a there's a very specific kind of vitriol that's reserved just for him and it's a little it's a little gross quite frankly uh and listen there are things to critique about m night's films i mean listen I, i said it uh two years ago with older whenever i'll say it again uh, I think he has only ever made two and a half good films. I think everything else. Yes, I think everything else is like mediocre to abysmal. Well, let's let's run through it quickly. Have you seen Praying with Anger? No, I well, I don't, I don't I, count that stuff. I don't remember if I've seen it. I have seen Wide Awake. It's barely a M Night movie. It's 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 not it's not identifiable as him. Sure. So let's let's go with the thirteen that we've seen. So I believe you've seen all thirteen, right? Yeah. All right. The Sixth Sense, brilliant. His best, still his, his best. best. It's, it's iconic. It everything about it holds up. It just works. Yeah, yeah. It's it's almost stunning that rewatching it now, looking for tells, you see all the things, but the movie still works. Oh yeah, all all the little things that will come to sort of you know crop up and define his work are there, but they're like they're pretty innocuous and they're well executed for the most part. Oh yeah, and the movie works just as well if you know Bruce Willis is sorry to spoil this movie that is uh, twenty four years old now, uh, dead. I works just as well. Yeah, exactly. Were you about to complain? Be like, oh no. Um, no, well, I I had already I already knew the twist the very first time I saw it, and it never bothered me. Yeah, no, I, I'm I think it works. Um, Unbreakable. I'm a little more lukewarm on it than most, but I would definitely put it in the good category as opposed to bad. Yes, I would put it in the good category. 
honestly, it's up there with Sixth Sense for me until you get to the ending. That's one of those movies where like the last five minutes really like bring the vibe crashing down. And I know it's meant to be this big. It's already for me the first sign of like, ooh, maybe don't lean into the twists so much because it kind of suddenly like you're left with like kind of a bad taste in your mouth. Have I got bad news for you? Because he leaned in nearly every movie after that. Um, But Unbreakable is in the good tier. Signs, I think I even like more than most. I don't like signs. I think it's signs stupid was the and first silly time. and not well, scary at all. Signs was the one where you started to get the people who didn't like it to really not like his stuff. I, I liked, I mean, I watched it. So it's 2002. <laughs> that would, bless you. Uh, that would make me, what, 15 when I saw it? So right about the time where it can still be like creepy. I'm sure if I watch it now, it's not scary at all. And the, and the ending doesn't really work. But I, I kind of like the little, like, hints. You only really see the alien. That one, like, footage from Mexico or something like that. That was very effective. There's there's good stuff in it. Um, I think I feel about it the way people feel about Unbreakable. Like, it's not the sixth sense, but it's solid. That's fair. You you were not a fan. It's, it's um, still... I'm not a fan, but, the like, the quality of filmmaking and everything still feels of that. We haven't descended into schlock yet. Yeah, yeah. We're still also in, like... These are massive event pictures, and they're making a bunch of money, $408 million at the box office for signs. Um, they're, they're mostly well-reviewed, I want to say. Early on, I, yeah. Yeah. Um, I wonder what, let's see. Ron, yeah, 75% of Rotten Tomatoes for signs. It's not until you get to the village where you get... There well, honestly, I like think it. people are still giving him a pass up until Lady in the Water, where it's like, oh, no, secret's out. This isn't bullshit. Well, Rotten Tomatoes is the first, uh, has The Village as the first rotten movie. Oh, But it's very much mixed. Okay. Uh, I remember The Village getting a better reception than that. But, um, I, uh, but I guess it, it also could have been modern. Mixed. It also could have been modern reviews, you know, weighing that down. True. Um, the Village is the first one where I think more people than not think the twist doesn't work. Yeah, I, I'm in that camp. I think it's just kind of it, it makes the whole thing dumb for me. Well, it's it's one of those ones where you're also like, this is probably the twist, right? This is probably the twist. Oh, yep. This is exactly what I thought it was. Yeah. And you're like, I shouldn't be smarter than the director and like not even smarter as much as like, I don't know if that was my idea. You didn't have a better one. But then we get to a lady in the water where, yeah. boy, has he not been listening to anyone that that one for me is the first outright like stinker, like just abysmal like takeaways directing card for a hot second kind of movie. It's also his first um, financial failure since he became you know the next Spielberg, as uh, people like to throw out there, as he maybe believed, considering he's a character who can save the world. Oh my god, the movie where Paul Giamatti talks to a mermaid in a swimming pool didn't make millions of dollars? I can't imagine why. Oh, it's because Bob Balaban was the evil film critic. Yeah, I know. Oh my god. That, yeah, I, I, Lady in the Water for me is it's one of those ones I point to where it's like his batting average is like really bad. To me, this is like in some ways the default. <laughs> like well, everything is either better or worse than this. Unfortunately, there's three movies worse than this one, which is hard to say. Hard to hard to go. Oh, with. I know. I know there's at least the Water's two. bad. I know there's Lady at least two is... that's in the same league. I don't know what the third well, one is. Well, Lady in the Water is is interesting. 
because you're like, what? Wait, wait, what? Like, there's something about that, right? Of yeah. just the like the the befuddlement of like, oh man. Then he makes the happening, or as I like to call it, the crappening. Yep. Which, which I would say it is super stupid and super bad, but it has somewhat been reclaimed by history as kind of an accidental comedy. Well, that's the thing. It is it is a terrible, terrible movie. But if you watch it wanting to laugh, he he nails some comedy. Like, one, maybe the worst Mark Wahlberg performance. Which is saying something. But yeah, yeah no, that is that is some... I mean, I point you what? to... What? Uh, no. What? No. Like, that... Yeah. How no, many that... takes did you do before that? Like, listen, I love Zoe Deschanel. She looks like she's been drugged. No, well, frankly, everyone's off the game in it. But this, to me, is maybe it was done in some of the earlier ones. I don't remember. I don't think so. But this, to me, introduces one of my favorite Shyamalan tropes, which plays a very important part in Knock at the Cabin, uh, which is like hilarious news footage. Because anytime there's like a special breaking news bulletin, it's always hysterical. Like, I, I don't know, some of the stuff that, like, all of the suicides in The Happening to me are so funny. And it's so mm. silly. And, like, the way, he, it, like, he stages it to look like it's this terrifying thing. But it's, like, people flopping off of buildings or, like, you know, you know, throwing their arms into lion's mouths or whatever. I don't know. It's just all so goofy. <laughs> yeah. Well, the irony is, if you recall, this was called... Was it the green effect? I think. Yeah. And it was it was it was his next script, right? Prior to Lady in the Water coming out. There was the the run of like, oh, M Night's got a new movie. And I believe right after Lady in the Water comes out, nobody buys it. Like all of a sudden they're like, mm. So the script's bad at the beginning. He rewrites it. I I guess it's good enough to be bought. I mean, evidence to the contrary, but whatever. So I remember the big deal being it's his first R-rated movie, right? Like yeah. he's gonna not hold back, and uh, maybe he should have held back because, like, what's the point? I don't know. This one, you're right that it's funny, but it's also like embarrassing. Oh, totally. No, it's a bad movie. It's not a movie you want to have on your resume. No. Uh, well, problem is he then makes the last Airbender, which is incompetent. Well, so that's the worst one. That to me is just like it, it it doesn't even function really as a film. Not even as an experimental film. It just doesn't yeah, like, it doesn't follow also, the basic tenets of like storytelling. Why did you make it visuals? Why did you make it? If you had some sort of strong attachment to this material, why did you let this be the story? Um I have you know, listen uh, we we've gotten better, but also like did M. Night not know better than to be like, let's just cast this white dude? Like, and like pronounce all the characters' names wrong, apparently. Sure. Like, did he did he feel like getting Dev Patel like solved all the problems? Because it didn't solve all the problems. Or like, any I, of the I wasn't, problems. I was not an Avatar fan, like of the of the source material. But I remember watching this movie going, I don't I don't know that I understand what's happening, and I don't think it's because the movie's smarter than me. 
Oh, no, listen, I I have zero attachment, connection, or relationship to the show. I'm aware it exists and that people like it, but I, you know, I have no relationship with it. The movie just fails as a movie, like as telling any kind of coherent or competent story. It just- Can you guess- It's, it's shocking the, to me how bad it is. Can you guess the Rotten Tomatoes were? Ooh, I want to say it's like six. Well, you were close. It's five. Ah. Oh. What do you think the happening had? Twelve. What do you think Lady in the Water had? Thirty-four. Closer on the other ones. Twenty-five for Lady in the Water. Okay. Eighteen for the happening. Oh, so also, generous. Also, I will, I will direct people to the... Um, um, Wikipedia page, which I pulled up just to look at stuff. Um, the day before the first reviews for the film came online, Shyamalan told the Daily News, we're making an excellent B-movie. That's our goal. Sure it was. Yeah, um, that's followed- that's one of those things where it's all well and good to say after the fact. Although, to his credit, his most recent string of films definitely have leaned into that. Yes. I, 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 I don't believe people- it was in- intentional then, but I do believe it is now. Yes. Um, Reevaluation as a B-movie is a section of this Wikipedia page. I think it's very much hindsight. But as we get into the newer stuff, foresight. So here's the other one that I I list as terrible is After Earth. The Will Smith, Jaden Smith uh, vanity project. Yeah, that's real rough. (laughs) Yeah, again, like barely competent. I don't know. I I hated that movie. 12% on Rotten Tomatoes. Even less to say about it because it's not even interesting. Like Lady in the Water is interesting and befuddling. The happening is kind of a riot while you're also like, the fuck is this movie? And and how did a competent director make this? And The Last Airbender is like, did you turn the camera on and walk away? After Earth is like somehow worse by being like expensive and like not as ugly. Like The Last Airbender looks like it was almost like a Roger Corman movie with a budget. Yeah. It's hard to. Ugh. So I think it's important to look at the happening is sort of the last of the old-fashioned M. Night movies, right? He makes two anonymous films. He does basically a, a for-hire job on The Last Airbender and kind of with After Earth. Yeah. Uh, hitch, hitching his wagon to Will Smith at the worst time you could hitch your wagon to Will Smith, give or take, like, the last year. Um, takes takes uh, two years off, which is to say he, he makes a movie, but he makes The Visit. Comes back with a uh, Blumhouse movie, right? Yeah. Found footage, like... Very much a change of pace for him, right? Spends a, a per- fraction of what he used to, and it, and it does pretty well. I don't remember it super well. It got a, it got like a decent sixty-eight percent Rotten Tomatoes, one off of sixty-nine. Um, I don't really remember what happens. I know, no, the, the it's one of those ones where, yeah, I know, uh, no, they're like mental asylum people or something it, yeah, le- yeah, it leans into some pretty rough stereotypes yeah i, I, didn't I remember, remember thinking they were it like, was like creepy but like not super memorable outside of that sure not super well acted i remember i yeah I, I don't even remember the acting for good or ill yeah i and i guess the you know very light on the twist with the like oh it's not your grandparents it's it's mentally ill people your favorite trope we'll find out because then he comes back with Split, which really excited people for some reason. I don't like Split. 
but I know most people do. So when I say he's made two and a half good movies, Split is the half, yeah. and it's now three and a half with Doc at the Cabin, which we will get back okay. to. But yeah, we're coming. Split, we're getting there. Split for me, it mainly works because James McAvoy is acting his fucking ass off. And he's better than the movie. He is better than the movie, and especially true of Glass, but true of both movies. He is just fucking going for it in every frame. Um, I think the movie, it, you know, it never really rises past being, you know, pretty. It's a B movie, and it's trying to be a B movie, and it leads into some kind of gross stuff that I wish it didn't. Uh, yeah. especially with some characters' backstories. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, I find it entertaining, but I don't begrudge anyone for not liking it. Sure. I, I, I didn't hate it. I just was not super impressed. And I, I was very exhausted by the time I saw it. Cause remember it played, was it AFI or Los Angeles Film Festival? Like the right book, cause it came out in January, but it played in September. Maybe it was fantastic. I don't know. It played at a festival. And there was this run of like, oh, could James McAvoy get nominated or win next year for this? And, you know, sight unseen, I was like, well, calm down. But once I saw it, I was also like, sure, he's good. But like, please, please. That kind of stuff doesn't get in. (laughs) Yeah. But at least it was like, okay, he's. And then it turns into like, oh, it's, it's part of his cinematic universe. Oh, okay. Which. I wasn't excited about, but I know people were, and I'm going to argue I was proven right because it led into Glass, and Glass sucks. Glass really sucks. Glass is pretty bottom tier for me. Glass is very much, he didn't have an idea for this movie. Well, he, he, it's like the idea for like making them connected was an afterthought, because if you actually look at the plots of either, or Unbreakable or Split, they just, there's not really the overlap just isn't there. And then glass has to sort of awkwardly finagle it out of nothing. And it just doesn't work. Yep. I don't care about the characters. I'm not enamored with their presence together. I did not forget that he drowned someone in a fucking, uh, puddle. Oh my God. Well, no, Bruce Willis gets drowned in the puddle. Yeah. That's pretty fucking stupid. It's so dumb. Well, and then it's, Uh, it's like, you know, I don't know. They make this whole thing of just, oh, we'll show the world that superpowers are real. And it's like, I don't know. Nothing really happened there that would happen in that video that would make me go, oh, is this like a like a commercial for something? Exactly. Like, is, is this and a then, monster energy drink ad? Yeah. And then as I as I said, I don't really like old. Your interest, you you found it, whatever. Um, like, not good, but it's, it's on the happening level for me. And sure. I, I mean, I think it's better than that. And I would argue that it it maybe is one of his more okay twists. It's not great, but at least he then spends. I, like, I, I don't know. There I think, really, I think not- for me, old represents the point where like all the stuff that's bad about the other movies is still there, but it's I don't, there's almost like a winking knowledge of it now, and it's yeah, especially it's- prevalent in Knock at the Cabin, which has a lot well, of his favorites, sort of. You know, things to come back to either visually oh, yeah, or thematically, really, but it's it funny really now. Con- it really confirmed like, oh, he makes schlock now. Like, that's his thing. And with Knock at the Cabin, he does it better than the last couple ones. But like, oh, he he makes 
like, I, I don't know. How do we want to put it? Like, I don't want to say garbage because, you know, they're, they're, you know, I think Knock the Cabin looks pretty good, right? It's, it's got some, some solid talent behind it, but like, it's, I, I, I wouldn't even call it as schlocky. Like, it's got a few schlocky moments because I'm not going to M Night, but like, yeah. I think for the most part, it's played pretty straight. This one is, but he's definitely in the in like the schlock phase of his career. Oh no, no, totally. Oh, as overall, yeah. Also, he's he's at the moment self financing, so he's essentially going. Here's how much I'm willing to spend. What idea can I do with that? And and you know what? Like, I don't, I didn't like most of these in the current phase, but like, this is his best movie for me since like Signs. <laughs> like, so I I'll take what I can get. Uh, it. Listen, I, I don't necessarily need to see like him deal with religion, but you know the things he does well, he does very well here. The things he struggles with, he still struggles with, but I think he was smart to limit those significantly. Yeah, I think that's it. I think it's it's got a lot of the things about like faith and belief and sort of, you know, these organizations and these conspiracies and all these kind of things. But I think it helps that um, he had a really good source material to work with. I actually did something I'd never do for this movie, which is I read the book it's based on, like, nice. over I know the it's past different. week. And so, well, here's the interesting thing. The first two thirds, it's almost beat for beat exactly the same. Yeah. Like, the, the would, to some points, it would, like, dialogue lifted directly from. But, right. yeah, the third act, it, like, w- it suddenly becomes a different story in some ways. And Yeah, I've... I've seen chatter to, you know, both for and against this. I think for me personally, where I land on it, having very quickly experienced both, is that I think both endings work for their respective sure. formats. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't think I want to see the book's ending on screen. So do you know what happens? Yes. Okay, yes. Yeah. So I think that works better in a book and that ambiguity plays better in a book. But I think for what the movie is, and, you know, it fits very snugly into M. Night's repertoire as a result, but I think having something a bit more definitive uh, works to the movie's benefit. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know that I, I was in, I don't think I love the ending, but I, I having seen what the ending was in the book, I also just don't know that that's the lead up to the end, like how, how the end comes about. As opposed to how it comes about in this mo- in the movie, mm-hmm. I, I just that would have been not a good move to make. I think for this move for the type of movie that it was up until then. Yeah, well, and I think one thing I really liked about it is it moves at a fucking clip, like hour forty yeah. minutes. You're in and out, nice, efficient, dirty. Like you don't please don't think about this too long. Just watch it. Well, yeah, but I like I don't know. I had a great time at the theater because it was like it was so simple and yeah. yeah. I, because I think a lot of the discourse around M. Night gets confused because people are like, oh, no, he's a great director. He's like pushing on those things. It's like it's the scripts that are the problems. He is a good director. And like this is a really good example of that because when you've got such a simple story, he kind of pushes the cinematography a lot more. And you create these sure. really these really great moments and these really effective scenes of suspense. And I think as just an exercise to like get his like craft gears going i think it's a wild success also we have to talk about dave batista who's been you know fucking impressing you know in one thing after another this is his fucking like calling yeah, he's a real, card he's for a real anything actor. now 
Like he he uh, is outstanding. I mean, everyone's good in it, but he really steals the show. It's interesting how it's sort of a mannered performance. Oh, it's it's so against type. I love it. Yeah. And and you can tell it's a performance, but I think because people still have that weird like, oh, you're a wrestler. You're barely an actor. That watching it you you rightly or wrongly almost go like, "Oh, I didn't realize he could do it." Yeah. And clearly he can do it. He's he's been doing a he's been doing a lot of interesting work. It's just this one is so clearly honed to like, well, your body type in that character is the in the book is he also meant to be large? Yeah, well, so what's interesting is uh, they do make a thing about him being huge in the book as well. Um, but um, in the book, is he's he like meant it, to be like more of like a portly dude or like no, it's like a, a muscular dude? It's a similar thing. The only real difference is that in the book, he's in his mid twenties, and okay, like so Batista's in his fifties, but he doesn't look in his fifties. He looks like a forty-year-old man, I would say. Yeah, exactly. He looks middle-aged, so it, but it, he, it, he looks like good middle age. Yeah, it doesn't change the dynamic at all. Yeah. yeah. Either way, it's it's an interesting visual dynamic, also with like teaching children. And yeah. Like, listen, I, I'm I'm in school buildings from time to time. There there are younger men and there are middle aged men who are like oddly large who teach, and it's always interesting to be like, oh, look at them running around with the kids. Like, it's it just it's striking in an interesting way. So it's a good it's a good narrative choice. Yeah. Um, agree. I, I want to. What do you think of this? So I think, as you were saying, M Night, his own worst enemy, mainly with scripts, right? What if you let him kind of run a little while with his directing? This will this will never happen, so I'm okay to, to like throw this out there. What if Batista got to play like Bane in a movie and M Night directed it as like a standalone Elseworlds DC movie? Um, I guess Within that would be fine. Like, I don't. Yeah, I've like never gotten the impression that he would be interested in that. I mean, based, I don't think he is based either. on Glass. I think his understanding of comic book anything is pretty rudimentary at best. That's true. Well, I was trying to think of like he he probably would do a good job with one of these properties. In Pro- the way probably that, like, one that's less comic booky. I don't even know. If ba- well, it sounds like Batista doesn't want to do Bane anymore because he. I was just thinking of like of if they worked together, like that would have been an interesting like idea or like if like like if, like if batista wanted to do like this is this is i'm really like going in a direction that's not accurate let's say he wanted to play andre the giant in a biopic or something like that just like a different sort of movie but it had a, a freestanding screenplay already yeah like i would be interested to see m night like go to town on like a bigger budget script like, oh totally totally or like you know what would have been an interesting i didn't like the movie much Remember, was it Brightburn, Evil Superman? Yeah. Like, he could have done an interesting job with that. Like, here's a script. Yeah. It's kind of trying to be It's kind of trying to be an M. Night script. So, like, don't worry about it. But also go to town and, and do your visual stuff. That could work. I, I'm, I mean, he, he wants to write his own stuff. So, like, we're, we're kind of missing. Well, and I, and I go back to both the dialogue in Unbreakable and Glass that, like, is talking about superhero tropes. Like, they've just discovered what oxygen is. So, yeah, like, he, I, uh, I, I don't know that he would bring much nuance to anything. Maybe he's got a war movie in him. A war movie. I think it would have to be a twist. I think he would have to be, like, a, um, uh, uh, what's it called? Um... What's the Nazi zombie one? The one you don't like, but I do. Dead Snow? Overlord. 
Oh, Overlord. Yeah, yeah. It has to be like an, like an isolated, like, where it's like, it's not a full war movie, but you're getting like this section of war. Sure. With like a I'm genre to... twist to it. Or wasn't, the, I don't think this movie ever got made, but I remember there was a, a movie in development or screenplay that like, during maybe Iraq, like a bunch of soldiers, like, discover like a bunch of like vampires in the desert. Something oh. one of those is okay. like, something weird. But also like visually dynamic and maybe with a bigger budget. I don't know. It's up to him. Um, but he also, but I get, the, I get the impression. Maybe it's just the cameos he chooses for himself. Great cameo in this one, by the way. Yes. Um, like one of his best. Um, I, I get the impression he's he's a lot more chill, like in general. So I don't know if he's yeah. interested in something that intense. But then true. again, this I'm one just... has has people bludgeoning people to death. So who knows? That's true. I'm just trying to figure out, like, if there's a way to highlight his directorial prowess while limiting his uh, worst uh, instincts as a writer. But yeah, who's to say? Um, yeah, but overall, G- give him the uh, the Gus Van Sant sh- shot for shot Hitchcock remake where he doesn't have there to worry about the story. He's just doing the craft. What do you want? Shyamalan on the remake Hitchcock, the biopic of Alfred Hitchcock shot for shot. I mean, no, because that's not a good Didn't movie. <laughs> It's fine. It's whatever. Uh, here, uh, Ryan McDermott has a film hawk face off for us before we get into our last segment. Andrea Riseborough films. Oh, dear. Okay. I'll do my best. You'll have seen more than you realize, which is one of the things that I think we can highlight here is that one of the reasons she gets nominated is she has literally worked with everyone. Uh, Happy Go Lucky or Birdman? Is she in Happy Go Lucky? Yeah. Who's she in that? Let's. I say I mean, as, I, as if I remember the movie well enough to know. I, I remember uh, I remember Sally Hawkins and Eddie Marsden. Yeah, th- those are the ones I remember. And then I, there was a guy. She who plays Dawn. Well, <laughs> okay. I, I assume that's like that the helped. friend or the sister or something. It's been a very long time since I've seen it. Okay, I happy, saw it once. Happy Go Lucky. And what was the other one? Birdman? Yeah, Birdman. Um, happy Go Lucky is a lot of fun. I really like it. It probably introduced me to Sally Hawkins. Um, but I think Birdman's got a bit more going on overall, and I think it's got a bit more going on for her to do. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go uh, Birdman as well. By the way, in the Wikipedia plot summary, which is usually like a solid reference point if you want to like look up, like, did I miss something here? Um, Dawn is not listed. She's listed as a character, but she does not factor into the plot. Oh. Yeah. Um, Nocturnal Animals or Oblivion? Um, she has more to do in Oblivion, but I don't think Oblivion is a very good movie. Um, Neither is Nocturnal Animals. But I don't think Nocturnal Animals is either. Exactly. But they're both bad for different reasons. I guess- I think I'll go Oblivion. Yeah, I might go Oblivion too, just because it's a bit more inoffensively bad. Whereas Nocturnal Animals is like punishing you for watching it and failing to deliver. Yep. So yeah, I'll go Oblivion. Battle of the Sexes or the Death of Stalin. Ah, oh, she wasn't the Death of Stalin. Yeah, I, Death See? of Stalin. See, this is working the way this is the way this is working the way it was intended. No, that's brilliant. Uh, Death of Stalin all the way. I love that one. They're both good movies. I do like Battle of the Sexes, but I feel like I would revisit Death of Stalin more recently. I'll go Battle just to split it up because they're both good, and she's good in both of them. Here's, here's, here's your one. Mandy or Possessor? Um, 
I think I go Mandy. I think Possessor, I really love a lot of the visuals and the ideas behind it, but it was just a little much at sure. points. Mandy is also a bit much, but it's it knows exactly what it's being the entire time. Yeah. Uh, whereas Possessor, I think, can get a bit carried away. And finally, to Leslie or Matilda the Musical? <laughs> Well, I've not seen to Leslie, and I don't know when I'll get the opportunity, but I adored Matilda the Musicals, and she's very funny in it, so that. I uh, I quite, I, I thought she was very good until Leslie in a movie that I thought was fine. I actually really, really liked Mark Maron in that movie, so maybe more than her. Um, so I'll go that one. Keep in mind other things she's been in that you might have, I mean, not that this is like good. She was in the remake of A Grudge. She was just in The Electric Life of Louis Wayne. She was just in Amsterdam. She was in the um, full-length version of Burden, that like somewhat problematic short film that won the Oscar. She was in Welcome to the Punch, Disconnect, Shadow Dancer, uh, W.E., quite notably, uh, Brighton Rock, Never Let Me Go, Maiden Dagenham. So she's been in more than people realize. First role, Venus, the, uh, the Peter O'Toole movie. Small oh, fascinating. Period, period film lover. Interesting. Okay. Yes. All right. Before we wrap up, do you remember last week when I told you to remind me about something? Oh, yeah. Remember to that thing. All right. Well, good thing I remembered before you reminded me because you kind of didn't remind me. Um, but we got No, what are you so talking I about? Wanted... I nailed it. <laughs> yeah, perfect. No notes. Um I wanted to talk about quickly, I wrote my annual What Would the Alternate Nominations to the Oscars Would Look Like, where I basically remove all the nominees and kind of figure out who was next in line. And then I cheat and do a second article where I just do who was sixth because double the content. Shh, don't tell anyone. Um, So I wanted to actually play a game with you where we look at both and you tell me which lineup's better. Okay. Which lineup would you rather have? Can't, can't sub any of them out. It's got to be one or the other. Okay? So, do you need do you need me to remind you of the best picture lineup, or do you have it handy? For this year? Yeah, no, this year. Yeah, I, 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 I have it. Okay. Uh, listeners, in case you need it, I guess I'll read it anyway. All Quiet, Avatar, Banshees, Elvis, Everything Everywhere, Fableman's Tar, Top Gun, Triangle, Women Talking. Would you rather that, or... Keep in mind, this is just the, the the ranking that I sort of guessed at of what the next 10 would be. That or The Whale, Glass Onion, Babylon, Black Panther, RRR, Living, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, The Woman King, She Said, and The Batman. Damn. I mean, yeah, I don't want to lose out on everything everywhere, but this uh, the other list has some bangers. There's only so I would I would I would love to get rid of Elvis and Triangle of Sadness. But the other eight I can deal with. In the other lists, The Whale made my top ten, Babylon made my top ten, She Said made my top ten, The Batman's not far off. It's very close, actually. I think I might go with the second one, even though I lose everything everywhere, just because like most of the rest of my top 10 is represented in uh, in the second list. Sure. Um, some of these will not go the same way. But I thought it was, especially with, with picture, it kind of worked out very well. 
Uh, director, remember, you have Martin McDonough, the Daniel, Spielberg, Todd Field, Ruben Ostlund. Or you could have just Kaczynski for Top Gun, Baz Luhrmann for Elvis, James Cameron for Avatar, Edward Berger for All Quiet, and S.S. Rajamouli for RRR. I'm tempted to they, change they, it just for Rajamouli, but I think I will keep the existing lineup. Yeah, like with the picture lineup, it's not right. Like you, you clearly are like, that's not how that would go. But it feels like there's more in there. With director, these do feel like all people who missed. If yeah. that makes sense. Um, so with actor... We know our five. It's Austin Butler. It's Colin Farrell. It's Brendan Fraser. It's Paul Mescal. It's Bill Nye. Or would you rather have Tom Cruise for Top Gun, Adam Sandler for Hustle, Tom Hanks for A Man Called Otto, Gabriel LaBelle for The Fablemans, and Diego Calva for Babylon? This also shows you sometimes how top-heavy these uh, categories can be because, yeah, after Cruise and Sandler, it was, um, hmm, who had any chance at a nomination? Yeah, it's kind of fascinating that these that some of them would even be that high any other year. Well, so for example, Jeremy Pope probably was closer to some than some of these people, but the film did got nothing. Yeah. So I I leaned into like Gabriel LaBelle in a Best Picture nominee, Diego Calva, the movie got some nominations. I think between a Jeremy Pope and a Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks is always going to be closer. And for people who mock Sandler, he had that SAG nomination. It turned out to be the one that they don't pay attention to, that they sometimes do, but he was 6 or 7. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I think for me, keeping the uh, existing lineup. Sure. No no issues there. Uh, actress, Blanchett, Anna de Armas, Andrew Riseborough, Michelle Williams, Michelle Yao, right? So, or you can have Danielle Deadweiler and Viola Davis and Olivia Coleman and Margot Robbie. And I, I threw in Zoe Kazan as the fifth one because I don't know that there was a anyone who kind of sniffed the 10th spot and I love that performance. So it's my list. Here's the big tr- trick is like, how much do you miss Deadweiler and Davis? No, I mean, there's a few in that second round that I would have loved to see in there, but I mean, for yo alone, I got to keep the original fair. Uh, supporting actor. I'd imagine you're keeping this one. Brendan Gleeson, Brian Tyree, Henry, Judd Hirsch, Barry Keegan, Kiwi Kwan. But if you want to switch, Paul Dano, The Fablemans, Eddie so-and-so, The Good Nurse. It's Eddie Redmayne. I just wanted to see if I could trick Miles. Uh, Ben Wishore, Women Talking, Brad Pitt, Babylon, Tom Hanks, Elvis. Yeah, we're going to keep this one the way it is. Thank you. Yeah, sometimes when supporting actor kind of narrows down to six people, it's, it's okay. Uh, sporting actress Angela Bassett, Hong Chow, Carrie Condon, Jamie Lee Curtis, Stephanie Sue. If you re, I guess if you recall, <laughs> um, Dolly De Leon, Triangle, Jesse Buckley, Women Talking, Janelle Monet, Glass Onion, uh, Carrie Mulligan. She said this is what we were talking about a couple minutes ago, and author on Claire Foy, Women Talking. Um, I would still keep what we got, but I'll say this one was the closest out of the acting categories. I'm okay with that. I think when when I tell you about um, screenplays, you're going to laugh. So most people, I think, got original screenplay right with their predictions, right? Give or take triangle. But it was Banshees, Everything Everywhere, Fableman's Tar Triangle, right? Those were kind of the five for a long time, unless you had a hunch about something. 
if you went with the alternate five, you've got Elvis, you've got Babylon, you've got After Sun, and then you're really throwing a rock, and I threw out their Empire of Light and Armageddon time. Woofta, can you imagine? Yep. Not good. Yeah, I, I, uh, I leave that. <laughs> now, here's an interesting one, because adapted, all quiet, glass onion, living, top gun, women talking. Notably seen as a thin and, and light adapted race, right? Yeah. Nobody taking, nobody saying anything bad about women talking, glass onion being well liked, but the other three kind of filler, even if one of them ends up upsetting, right? Um, movies that may not have gotten nominated a better year. Now, let's look at what the options were. Would you rather have had The Whale, She Said, Avatar, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, and Black Panther Wakanda Forever? I'm I might want that one. I'm tempted. I I would leave it for Glass Onion alone. It's close. For for a category that like it's hard to find ten. That because like listen, Black Panther did okay with nominations. Avatar did well with nominations. They were never anywhere near these nom- this nomination. So like oh no, not of, at all. Yeah, it's kind of a joke to have them because you have to get to ten. But the whale and she said were definitely the other viable candidates and i like them better than three of the five nominees at least Very um, valid. here i'll give you i'll give uh, let's go quickly through the other alternate lists and if you need to hear about the original i'll give it um since we're trying to wrap this up uh, animated feature if you want the alternate list it would be wendell and wild apollo 10 and a half lightyear inio and eternal spring some very strong ones there but i would leave it all right Production design. The alternate list would be Black Panther, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Glass Onion, The Batman, Empire of Light. I might want this one. Yeah, I think I would go with this one, too. Yeah, that that one's a a really good one. Not that the other one we have is bad. It's just kind of whatever. All Quiet, Avatar, Babylon, Elvis, The Fablemans. Yeah. Kind of. A lot of safe choices. Yeah. I feel like we're going to both say we want the cinematography list. Because the alternate list almost reads like the fucking Oscar list. Top Gun? Fableman's Avatar, Babylon, the Batman. Yeah, take the new one. That that sure seems like the Oscar list, right? It seems like it would be, yeah. As opposed to like, hey guys, it's all quiet. Bardo, Elvis, Empire of Light, and Tar. Uh, yeah, that's definitely one to switch. Uh, costume design, living, Fableman's, Glass Onion, Women Talking Avatar. You like that one better? No strong opinion, I imagine. Not really a strong opinion. Film editing. Fableman's All Quiet, Black Panther, Batman, Avatar? Uh, maybe the new one. No, wait, hold on. I can't lose uh, Everything Everywhere. The original was Banshee's Elvis, Everything Everywhere, Tar, and Top Gun. Yeah, Tar and Everything Everywhere are the only ones I feel strongly about, but enough to keep it. I think let's go with the way I pronounce it, which was Tire, because I started to say Top Gun also. Tire. Um, yeah. Uh, makeup and hairstyling, if you recall, there was 10 in the finalists, so the five who didn't make it were Blonde, Babylon, Emancipation, Amsterdam, Crimes of the Future. Crimes tempts you, but I'm sure you're leaving it. Yeah, correct. Uh, sound, same thing. The five who didn't make it. Black Panther, Everything Everywhere, Pinocchio, Babylon, Moonage, Daydream. Can't believe that Nope wasn't in here. Yeah, that it didn't even get there. Um, it's close there, but I, I, I'd probably leave it also. Yeah. Um... Yeah, All Quiet, Avatar, Batman, Elvis, Top Gun. No issues there. Visual effects. The alternate list would be Nope, Doctor Strange, 13 Lives, Jurassic World, and Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore. 
it's a word that exists. Yeah, I would leave it. Yeah. Now, original score. This one I'm curious because the original lineup, just so you know, All Quiet, Babylon, Banshees, Everything Everywhere, The Fablemans. Solid. Are you particularly excited about it? Yep, there's some great stuff in there. Okay. How do you feel about Women Talking, Pinocchio, She Said, Black Panther, Avatar? Close. It is close. It's definitely close. She Said being in there makes it close. I think um, if not for Babylon, I, I, I would be on the new list. Yeah, it's very close, but Babylon is my favorite score of the year. I cannot. Mm. Um, well, I know you're going to keep song because of Not To Not To. Mm-hmm. But again, if you want to consider the alternatives, you have uh, Chow Papa from Pinocchio, New Body Roomba from White Noise, Carolina from Where the Crawdads Sing, Good Afternoon from Spirited, and Till You're Home from A Man Called Otto. Yep, not a bad lineup, but yeah, I'm sticking with the originals. Sure. I imagine you're you're missing several of the documentaries on uh, that we're going to in the lineup. And in you the, uh... can skip all that. Yeah, yeah, because I'll, I'll just tell you, for example, my my five who missed would have been Descendant, Retrograde, Moonage Daydream, Bad Axe, The Janes. You've seen one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, international feature, though. Can't can't have RR either way. Sorry. Can't help you there. Didn't even make it to that cut. I so, understand. I know. So remember, we have All Quiet, Argentina, Close, EO, and The Quiet One. So you're, you're going with the new one, aren't you? Well, the new one has Decision to Leave. So yes, probably. It has decision to Leave, Bardo, Holy Spider, St. Omer, and Return the Soul. Oh, yeah. Definitely the new one. Thought so. Right, that was fun. Um, let's wrap up. So say where you can be followed. Um, and you know what? Pitch me your 13 going on 30 sequel. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, well, you can find me on both Twitter and Letterboxd at Miles on Film. That's M-Y-L-E-S on Film. You can also find me on Instagram at Marvelous Miles. Uh, please check out my short films, American Exorcist and Once Upon a Dracula. They're both on YouTube under Aftershock Pictures and Chase Capo, respectively. Uh, 30 going on 30 sequel. It's the, um, you know, 30 going on 57 or whatever. And it's like the before midnight where like they end up together. But now that she like ripped open a hole in the time space continuum to ruin his wedding, like there's been a whole horrible butterfly effect and they hate each other. Also, she still has the mind of a 13-year-old for some reason. Yeah, yeah, because reasons. Uh, you can find me at Joey Maggots on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, uh, whatever else I haven't mentioned. Awards Radar is on several things. Um, I'm going to go with, I don't remember, what did you say? 30 going on 57? Sure. <laughs> 30 going on 69. Ah, um, uh, there it is. And it's centered on, um, she actually successfully seduced that child. Oh and, god. Uh, yeah, she's in prison. Oh god. <laughs> and it's a it's a women in prison movie. Well, that's okay. We're we're taking the franchise in all sorts of bold new directions. Listen, Jennifer Garner was snubbed for Juno and she's trying to get some attention. Um yeah, not 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 good. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, Steve will probably be back. We'll see if he recovers from Oh, I didn't talk about Ant-Man. Um <laughs> uh, Oh, yeah, Joey saw Ant-Man. 
Yeah, I saw Ant-Man. So did Steve. He's recovering from Quantum Mania. I saw Ant-Man. It's uh, Marvel doing Star Wars, guys. Um, not all of it works. I it, It's only about two hours and five minutes, so I appreciated that. I was a little worried it was going to be like 250 or something like that um, because of the setting up the new phase. It, it, it only hints at all that stuff. It's it's interesting to watch Ant-Man do a big adventure. Um, Jonathan Majors is pretty good. I'm not fully sold on Kang as like the big bad yet, but they've got many things to still do that with. So I'm curious about what's to come. I will put it in your head. I hadn't seen anyone else mention this. If anyone else is fans of Rick and Morty, um, Jeff Loveness, I believe is the writer. He was a writer on Rick and Morty. I think he did the toilet episode, which won an Emmy. Um, I felt a little bit of a Rick and Morty vibe with some of the, the, the quantum realm creatures. So keep that in mind as you watch. I liked Catherine Newton as, uh, as Scott's daughter. I kind of like the family vibe there. Paul Rudd's doing his thing. Um, it's fine. It's solid. It's middle of the road. When I update my prediction, my ranking next next week, it'll be right there in, in the middle. Um, I think I like it better than the Ant-Man and the Wasp, but maybe a little less than Ant-Man. But I also don't remember Ant-Man or Ant-Man and the Wasp super well. Sure. Sense. They're, they're, you know, somewhat flights of fancy besides the second one very clearly being like, oh, the snap. This one doesn't quite go that far, but the um, the two credit sequences are uh, important, I'll say. So you'll you'll see that um, next weekend, and uh, the week the episode after next, we'll fully discuss it. But for now, um, we got some awards chatter in while it's quiet, and we uh, took a bunch of your questions. So feel free to send more, and we will be back next week, hopefully with Steve. And until then, uh, we will. See you at the movies for uh, what the hell is open this week? Magic Mike. Uh, yeah, maybe. I've heard it's bad though. Yeah, I, I, I didn't. Uh, it was playing the same time as um, as Ant Man. And yes, I was, I was having uh, a drink with a uh, colleague who knew someone who'd already seen it last week, and they were like, he, that person loved the first two, and went, this one's not good. Uh, mainly because it dropped all the all the fun friends that we like. At least I like. That's why I like the first two. Big Dick Richie and Tarzan and all those guys. So I'll catch up to it. But not super like excited to be disappointed by a franchise I liked until now. Yeah. Is there anything else coming out? Like, What are you seeing this weekend? Uh, that's it. We, we were going to see that before the early word. Now we're changing. So we're seeing like older stuff. Like We're going to be seeing Casablanca on the big screen. On Valentine's Day, we're going to be doing this something about Mary. Nice. Well, I mean, if you're if you're in the theater for Casablanca and Magic Mike's playing, you might as well sneak in or eh, pay maybe. to buy a ticket. Um, I saw I saw Consecration, which comes out this weekend. The Jenna Malone, um, like in a convent. There's some some creepy shit going on. It's all right. Yeah, yeah. Not. I mean, people seem to like it less than I did. I was like, it's 90 minutes. It's it's doing a thing. It's nothing nothing to go crazy over. I wouldn't tell you to go watch it, but you could do worse. So. Reviews up on the site. Oh, and if you're on, if you have Amazon, which I guess everyone does, uh, somebody I used to know is hitting on this weekend. It's uh, Alison Brie and, and Dave Franco, and it's a very charming rom com. I think you should maybe try to fit it in for your your days of love because it's very smart about '90s rom coms. Okay. If possible. Um, did you watch the rental, the one he directed, his first movie he directed? No, I heard it was decent. I liked it. I I, I love that his first two swings are. He co-wrote and directed a like gnarly horror movie with Joe Swanberg, co-writing, 
and then he co-wrote with his wife and directed a romantic comedy starring his wife. Where, yep, where there you go. Is, uh, very naked at one point. Um, it's fun. I love that there's little bits. Um, by the time you listen to this, I believe interview with them will be up on the site. Um, there's a scene in her childhood bedroom and she has an American movie poster. And I thought that was delightful. And All Dave right. was very eager to talk about that because she was going to be a documentarian in the movie. Oh, like, I see. A, so it's very, it tells me a lot about that character. So I like those little touches. So you could do a lot worse. Feel free to pitch that to Kelly. And uh, we'll check in on where you guys are at next week. And uh, as always, we struggle to end this because we always forget something. But we'll, we did okay. So this was fun. We will see everyone at the movies for one of the many things we mentioned. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and to visit awardsradar.com for the best in awards and entertainment content. <laughs>